Hello, I'm Mary Osborne. I'm Kathy Shagrin. And I'm Stacia Matten. And we'd like to welcome you back for a second season of Prairie Tales, where each month we talk about this wonderful community we live in, Monmouth, Illinois. Mary, did you know that the city of Monmouth is the birthplace of fraternity Kappa Kappa Gamma? Well, yes, I did. Well, did you know that their mascot is an owl and the Florida is their symbol? Yes, I was aware. Did you know that the fraternity began as a desire by several local women in Monmouth to develop a women's fraternity for social development and now has 145 collegiate chapters? How do you know so much about Kappa Kappa Gamma? <laughs> well, uh, well you know, I read it on the I read it internet. on the internet. Well, moving on. Each month at Prairie Tales, we bring you a little slice of history from Monmouth's past with the help of local historians. Last year, we heard from many of you who listen, and we welcome your ideas for future programs. We also would like to recognize the Buchanan Center for the Arts, which sponsors our program as part of its mission to promote the arts in whatever form it takes in the Monmouth area. So, are we ready to begin? Absolutely. Well, get ready because it's season two of Prairie Tales. Hello, Prairie Tales fans. We are pleased to welcome local historian Tom Best back to our program for a two-part episode. This is part one of an amazing tale of Warren County's early history. On a tree-covered hillside in a secluded part of Polk County, Oregon, peacefully rests a collection of fading and cracked gravestones. What should make these physical testimonies intriguing to us? is that they locate the final resting place of several score of Warren County, Illinois residents. Why and how they made their way to Oregon and started new lives is intertwined with one of the most famous migrations in American history, the Oregon Trail. My research into these families' lives began in the early 1990s, as I was then teaching 7th grade social studies, and indeed today, their richly informative letters and memoirs are still worthy of our attention. Three Warren County migrant trains traveled to Oregon over a three-year time span, 1850, 1852, and 1853. While records of all three trips remain, it is with the final year of these migrations that best draws us into their history with intriguing primary sources. These families generally trace their earliest American homesteads to Virginia and North Carolina. From there, their descendants made their way to an unforested region in south-central Kentucky known as the Barrens. They continued their agrarian lifestyle in Illinois as this new state became their next home during the 1820s and 1830s. Therefore, they were among the earliest settlers in a military tract, or lands available to veterans of the War of 1812. They were typically Jacksonian Democrats, as well as followers of the theology of Alexander Campbell and the disciples of Christ Church, who espoused adult baptism. One of the better-known homes and settlements for these families was five miles east of Monmouth, Known as Butler Grove, this was the property of Peter Butler, a patriarch widely respected for his years as a farmer, a soldier in both the War of 1812 and the Mexican War, a county sheriff, and a surveyor who laid out the grid for what became Monmouth. Asked to survey the land that became Chicago, he turned down the offer as he felt that that swampy location would never amount to much. On another occasion, begging his lack of available time, he turned down a surveying job to a promising young man named Abraham Lincoln. Butler's first home, a log cabin, was built in 1828. Nearby, a blockhouse was soon constructed to offer protection to settlers during the era of the Black Hawk War. Sometime in the early 1840s, his cabin was replaced by a modest Greek revival structure, which also served as a stagecoach stop. 
Peter and wife Rachel garnered a cheerful reputation for serving up prairie chickens and hoe cakes, providing entertaining music and dance, and offering fascinating stories of Peter's connections with none other than Old Hickory, Andrew Jackson. By the time his brood left for Oregon in the 1850s, he and Rachel had raised 10 children. In Monmouth, another transplanted community leader was Elijah Davidson Sr. His wife Margaret was a sister to Rachel Butler. Together, they raised 12 children and ran the community's first blacksmith shop on the southwest side of the square. When Elijah wasn't banging on his anvil, he was an executor of wills, a county treasurer, and ran a grocery store and inn where he charged 12 and a half cents per night for a bed. The Davidsons were also among the 19 founders of the growing Disciples of Christ Church in Monmouth. With such success and growth, one might wonder why they would want to uproot their extensive families and church members and head west in the early 1850s. Various evidence points to their quest for more land ownership, a motivation to spread their faith as missionaries, and a desire to avoid the growing divisive nature of politics between their own Democrats and opposition Whigs the latter party which evolved into the later anti-slavery Republican Party. Although an interesting addition to this perspective is that the women were not thrilled with the idea of giving up their homes and moving to a largely unsettled West. What was their bargaining chip? They largely agreed on the promise that their male leaders would construct a town, a church, and a college that would be open to both their sons and daughters. So despite some hesitancy, principally my matriarch Rachel Butler, the women offered their eventual support. The first group headed west toward the Willamette Valley of Western Oregon in 1850 and was directed by the earlier mentioned 67-year-old Elijah Davidson Sr. Thomas Lucas, another church member on this trek, sent back advice in January 1852, advising future settlers to pack among the many items per person 150 pounds of flour, 50 pounds of bacon, 20 pounds of sugar, and 8 pounds of fruit. The 1852 party was led by another of their influential settlers, Reverend John Murphy of the Coldbrook vicinity. He had plenty to concern him about this year, as it was not only the busiest year ever on the trail, but he had his existing flock of about 10 children and a very pregnant wife to concern himself. His wife, Frances, would give birth to a new daughter, Sarah Ann, on the trail. One account of their departure, with nearly 90 people in their party, said this, one clear morning, April 13, 1852, a multitude of friends and relatives gathered in the town square to be told goodbye. After reading a passage of scripture, singing a hymn, and asking God and guidance during their journey and in building new homes and the Christian college, the 30 white-topped wagons slowly crept out of sight of the friends who gathered to bid farewell. Peter Butler's sage advice from his 64 years living on this earth and the leadership of his son, Ira, guided the final group in 1853. Certainly, the much-respected matriarch of this party was Peter's wife, 65-year-old Rachel Murphy Butler. A pipe-smoking woman from East Tennessee had grown up not learning to either read or write. Rachel had three of her married daughters and one adult son joining them on the trip. That son, 40-year-old Ira Francis Marion Butler, had already forged his reputation for leadership as the sheriff of Warren County. With him was his wife, Marianne Davidson, daughter of Elijah Davidson Sr., and their five children. Most who have documented the Butler wagon train's adventures acknowledge that while the wagon train did not make a move without the consent and morning prayer led by old Peter, 
It was Ira who was the real captain of the party. One of the other travelers in the 1853 party was 28-year-old school teacher and surveyor Thomas Hutchinson. Elizabeth Butler, one of Peter's daughters, was his wife. They already had a small child and Elizabeth was expecting another. Whether they could make it to Oregon before that birth was no doubt a question on many of the extended Butler family's minds. Therefore, with 17 men, 6 women, 23 children, some young hired men such as George West, the Butler party departed from the downtown square of Monmouth on March 28, 1853, with their 16 wagons and 72 horses and mules. Before specifically chronicling their journey, it's worthy to note that the Butler wagon train was not the only group of Warren County immigrants pulling out that spring. This included the family of James F. Pollock, a 47-year-old farmer and blacksmith from near Little York who traveled westward with his wife, Rebecca Ann, and their six children. Their daughter, 16-year-old Marjorie, described their departure this way. Father and mother had kept their secret well. For days and weeks, perhaps months, they had debated the advisability of selling the dear old farm in Illinois and undertaking the perilous journey across the plains and mountains to the newly discovered El Dorado on the shores of the Pacific. Excitement ran high. Neighbors and friends gathered at the various homes in the usually quiet village of Little York. Notwithstanding all this unusual excitement, we children suspected nothing, and shock was very great when one day at the dinner table, Father announced in his usual firm and determined manner that all must be in readiness to leave on the 29th day of March for the land of promise. Having been trained from early childhood that when Father said a thing, he meant it, and that tears and entreaties were of no avail, we went to work to carry out the plans. So with their large prairie schooner, or their house on wheels, as Marjorie called it, the Pollocks would take their 200 head of livestock, make one last wave of goodbye to tearful relatives and friends, and headed west. Also traveling in their midst was Samuel Leeper, a 41-year-old farmer and former sheriff of Warren County. His wife, Elizabeth, and their six children, including the just newly born infant, Margaret Elizabeth, would also attempt the trip, but with some tragic consequences. Other immigrants from Hale and Sumner townships included Abner Abbott, a 42-year-old farmer with a wife and eight children. In fact, it is possible that as many as 130 Warren County residents departed for Oregon and California that spring. Each group's introduction to the trail in crossing Iowa in 1853 was stressfully marked by about 30 days of constant rains, muddy roads, stunted spring grasses limiting feed for their livestock, sick children, and challenging swollen stream and river crossings. The worst incident took place, according to Labor George West's memoir, at one river crossing as one of the butler's cattle was swept away. The cow, in swimming, came in contact with one of the logs. The current was swift. She could not pass under the log. The current carried her tail, in down the stream. Her horns caught on the log and would cause her to go into the water. Here, Uncle Peter swore, saying, Damn her, let her drown. The parties next reached Canesville and Council Bluffs, tempestuous jumping-off points along the Missouri River crossing. After such shaving shops, with entrepreneurs known for charging excessive prices for steamboat faring and purchasing supplies, the Butler party experienced such gouging. A steamboat carrying several hundred pounds of essential goods, earlier contracted for by Peter Butler and to be delivered to them here, sank 60 miles downstream. 
Their next formidable challenge came at the Elkhorn River in eastern Nebraska. With 800-some wagons pushed up against the eastern bank, parties grew frustrated waiting for a ferry to be constructed. After four days waiting in an area plagued by rattlesnakes, George West tells the tale of hardship for the family of Samuel Leeper. During our building of our boat, we learned a party had oakum and spikes, and that by crossing a wide, deep slough, we could get them. Joe Hawkins and Leeper volunteered to go. These men had crossed the slough when all at once Leeper disappeared. He had stepped in a hole and was gone. We made some efforts to recover the body, but could not. Mrs. Leeper offered a splendid horse to the Indians if they could recover Leeper's body. But they, after investigating the place, said it was impossible. The incident cast quite a gloom in our midst. After waiting impatiently several more days along the Elkhorn in hopes that Samuel's body would raise and that he could have a decent burial, which never occurred, the despondent Mrs. Leeper, her children, and some of her brothers and sisters and friends, including the family of Abner Abbott, concluded to return to Monmouth. Sadly, their troubles did not end there. Suffering from new economic hardships, Mrs. Leeper fell into legal fights with creditors, which included the Abbott family, who had graciously helped escort her back to Warren County. With that sad episode, part one of our story of the Oregon Trail families from Warren County comes to an end. Next time, we will start with their continued trek across the Great Plains. From there, we will follow their exploits over the Rocky Mountains and into the land was Oregon. Won't you join me again for that adventure? And that, friends, is where this tale ends. Prairie Tales is a production of the Buchanan Center for the Arts in Monmouth, Illinois. If you enjoyed our podcast, look for more content on Instagram at Buchanan Center and on Facebook at BCA Monmouth. Email us with questions and suggestions for future episodes at prairietalespodcast at gmail.com. Remember, not all history is found in a book. Sometimes it's found in the stories we tell. Just listen to the sound of the prairie, and you too might hear a tale.